0: The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz.
1: Well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, to the 108th edition of Dave's Gone By. On this December 30th, 2004... Hope you all had great Hanukkahs, Christmases, Kwanzaas, Festivuses. I'm so thrilled that uh, Festivus is catching on. It is, of course, a non-holiday, started by George Costanza's father on Seinfeld, in the um, Jerry Stiller character. He invented it when he was a child, because he was sick of Christmas craziness at the mall, bickering at the store over toys. He said, there has to be a better way. So kind of like the guy who invented Kwanzaa, Frank Costanza came up with Festivus. Actually, one of the writers did it for real, and then then wrote about it in the show. And it's a pretty simple holiday. Instead of a tree or a flag, everybody puts up a bare aluminum pole. There's no lights, no tinsel, no manufactured seasonal cheer. According to the New York Times, there are just two rituals. Accusing others of being a disappointment, and the holiday isn't over until someone wrestles the head of a family to the floor. And people are really taking to this holiday, which has the slogan, a festivus for the rest of us. The Times interviewed real folks who went out to Home Depot and bought aluminum poles to stick in the ground. And they have to be aluminum, by the way. That's one of the few prerequisites. And I think it's great for people who are either not Jewish or Christian, which I'll bet is a far bigger group than the right-wing W crowd will ever realize, and even for people who are Christian and Jewish. Festivus is a non-religio specifico occasion. No baggage. You don't have to spend hours with relatives. You don't have to sit in church all night. You don't have to tip anybody. And there are no Festivus carols playing at the supermarket. I mean, you all listen to the radio... Fine. It's your Festivus. Make the most of it. And the New York Times story points out that because there isn't this long, tangled history, uh, because you don't actually have to believe anything, Festivus isn't a phony, humanitarian love fest. In fact, Festivus calls for a deep and abiding apathy toward your fellow man, it has more broad based appeal than, say, the holiday they do on the O.C. Oh, oh, and I am so steamed about that. I'm sure you've heard of it. They've got some kind of intermarriage family on the show. So rather than choose Hanukkah or Christmas to celebrate, they lump them both together as Chrismaka, which is a funny idea. In fact, it was my funny idea 15 years ago. I realize you can't sue for the property of a punchline, much as that great clown Donald Trump found out when he couldn't trademark You're Fired. And granted, I was ranting against the idea. My Chrismaca joke was about the bastardization of the holidays, and more specifically, the secularization of Hanukkah. On the O.C., I take it, they're tongue in cheek about it, but they also take it semi seriously as a holiday. My holiday! So I do think the producers of The O.C. owe me some acknowledgement, or money, for thinking of Chrismica a full decade before they did, or if not money, maybe 20 minutes in a bathtub with Misha Barton. But I'm not bitter. I'm just happy my ideas are getting out there, slowly oozing from my polluted brain into the unprotected psyche of the populace. I'm just waiting for some of the stuff I did last week on the holiday show to filter down. Today it's oh I can't believe they said that. In 2014 some cable TV show will have a gay couple hanging dildos from a Christmas tree and singing carols about a child molesting Santa from New Jersey. Will I get the credit then? Probably not. But if I can add just a pinch of arsenic to the frankincense and myrrh of the moment it will have all been worthwhile. And as I said at the end of the show last week, much as I'm a curmudgeon and a grinch around Christmas, I'm not quite so cynical about New Year's Day, even though that's based, tangentially at least, around the same events as Christmas. As a Jew, I celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which on first glance is way more arbitrary than the Christian calendar. An important rabbi in 359 A.D. set down the whole Jewish timeline, which, according to him, started at 3,759 B.C. What happened in that year? I have no idea. But when I was little, and I hadn't taken any science classes, I just assumed that was the date the universe was created. 5,000 years seemed like a long time back then, so it was simple enough for my nine-year-old mind to think, okay, the last 1,000 years went from the Middle Ages to, like, now. The 1,000 years before that was feudalism and everybody living in mud huts and castles. And then somewhere in the first 3,000 years, monkeys turned into ape creatures, ape creatures turned into cavemen, and cavemen turned into football players. Simple. Then, when science came along to convolute things for me, the rabbis at my Hebrew school stayed one step ahead of us. They said, well, yes, it doesn't matter what scientists say about dinosaurs being around 50,000 years ago. The universe is 5,700 years old. But, who knows how long a year lasted in the beginning of creation. In other words, a year back when Moses was alive could have been the equivalent of a million years now. Which kind of made sense to me when I first heard it. If our 5,000 years was actually 50 million years, then sure, that's enough time for amoebas to become fish, for fish to grow legs, and for legs to start wearing Nikes. But the logic only goes so far, because let's say one biblical year was actually our equivalent of a hundred modern years. You start to figure, Wait a minute, that's a damn long day. That means each of those days back then was 2400 hours long. How'd you like to be working at a job you hated in Jewish calendar year 106? You get up in the morning, you hit the office, make coffee, and you're gonna be at the office that day for the next 800 hours. Oh sure, you get a 20 hour lunch break, two and a half hours here and there to smoke a cigarette, and you're home in time for Jeopardy, which lasts a hundred hours. And of course, what really doesn't jive is how all those people from the Old Testament lived for centuries. Methuselah, 969 years. But he wasn't the only one. There were were dudes in the Bible living five, six, eight hundred years. Noah, he spent a month on an ark with everything from harmless bunny rabbits to, one assumes, poisonous snakes and cranky elephants. And he lived to uh, 205. Now, biblical scholars like to point to the Flood as being the deal-breaker. Before the Flood, the average life expectancy was in the upper 800s. After the Flood, you had to be planning a will once you passed, like, 170. But then again, old Moses only made it to 70. So maybe there was some radiation leaking off those pyramids or something. Anyway, none of the numbers add up. If one year was equal to a hundred or a thousand, then the guys who lived a thousand years really lived a hundred thousand years, which must have made their health insurance costs astronomical. But what if we reverse it? And the ages were correct as we know them. Only a year was much less than a year. If a year back then was only a month, then... Methuselah only lived to his early 80s. Well, that sounds very possible, but then how do you squeeze in everything from the Big Bang to iPods in 5,000 years that were actually only 400 years? It makes my head hurt. Is it any wonder the Hebrew calendar doesn't last the same amount of days each year? And sometimes, I swear to God, sometimes they add an extra month. And Lul, too! How would you like to be born on the second Thursday of Elul 2? Gee, Morty, don't you have a birthday coming up? I don't know, in a couple of years, I have to check my freaking almanac. But to be fair, the Hebrew calendar does revolve around the moon and all its cycles, which actually makes it somewhat more precise than the Gregorian one, especially since the Hebrew calendar gets to add or drop days if they're a little off. Rabbi, Shabuos is coming in the middle of winter. Really? All right, put in LL2. But of course, the Christian calendar is no better, because it's based on an arguably mythical premise. Jesus was born in the year zero, or is it one? Well,, he died in 33, so I guess it was the odds. Anyway, the calendar we all use didn't become standard until Pope Gregory decreed it in the 1500s. Before that, Julius Caesar had concocted the Julian calendar, which was pretty much the same, except every 128 years, you lost a day. Now, our Gregorian calendar is a a bit more exact, but why do we have to uh, have a leap year every four years? Not to mention this turning the clock back, turning the clock forward nonsense. Okay, but again... Although it may not sound like it, I do have a sentimental streak, and a paranoid neurotic streak, so I don't mind marking the American New Year, whatever it happens to be based on. And though the day itself is no different from all the other days, it does come at the solstice, festivus time, when we all need a little winter cheering up, and it does come as a badge of survival to all of us who made it through the past 365 years or six days I mean on a very basic level millions of people died last year natural causes unnatural causes all over the world I mean look at Asia this week millions of people keeled over and joined Jesus Moses and Pope Gregory in the spirit world if you are listening to this program tonight congratulations you didn't die now granted it's only December 30th there is one more day before New Year's so you know Take it easy, don't do any heavy lifting, but if you don't think you have anything to be grateful for, or if you keep wondering what's the big deal about tearing the top sheet off your Morton M. Haves mini-desk calendar, well, stick around till later in the show, because just as I did last year, I'm going to come up with a bunch of reasons to be cheerful, to paraphrase Ian Dury, reasons to be grateful we were there to live through, to witness, and to appreciate 2004. Of course, we all know the bad stuff. Iraq, the MTA fare hike, gas and oil prices, Bush and Company back in the White House. And maybe someone you know did die this year, or there was a medical problem or a financial disaster. And maybe you won't agree that all the things I'm going to list were good things in a year gone by. But I'm sure you could make your own list and check it twice, and be reminded of the events, both naughty and nice, that gave you pleasure and comfort and excitement and painful curiosity over the past 52 weeks. Things to hold on to, just in case the next 52 weeks turn out to be worse. I'm sure one guy who's both depressed and counting his blessings is Dick Clark. Wasn't it just a couple of years ago? He was the world's oldest teenager. He had barely aged a day. I mean, he was in his 50s, but he looked 23. Okay, So age caught up with him a little bit. Everybody gets older sometimes, but a stroke? I mean, did you realize he was 75? And Clark won't be up to doing the uh, Rockin' New Year's Eve in Times Square this year. They've asked Regis to fill in for him. And it's kind of sad, because I never liked the Dick Clark show. It was all phoniness and hype, and the bands were always these generic, pop, sucky groups that couldn't hold a candle to a guy Lombardo, and yet of course that's the nature of repetition, and television, and nostalgia that like now, suddenly, as that tradition is threatened you feel kind of sad, it's like what, no Dick Clark watching the ball drop? But, but it's just not the same without him even if you didn't watch the whole show Even if you spent the evening watching the other channels, it's 9.58 in Beijing, it's 2 a.m. January 1st in Lapland, everybody wave! When it came time for the 11.59 countdown, well, it, it was Dick, wasn't it? That was the place. It'd be pretty cool if he's dragged himself out of his hospital bed to do the countdown this year. I mean, Regis could take the rest of the night, but imagine Dick Clark standing in his pajamas somewhere near 45th Street, one whole side of his body paralyzed, but still desperate to give it that old college try. 59, 57. It's coming down. 43, 42, 41. I can't feel my hip bone. 29, 28, 27. And don't forget, at 12.30, a musical medley by Duran Duran and Bon Jovi. 18, 17, 16, Did I take my pill? Can somebody give me my pill? Five, four, three, two, one. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, no, that's just cruel. We all hope Dick Clark has a full recovery and gets to do the New Year's thing next year. Or if he's not up to it, maybe they'll give him a lighter assignment. Countdown to Yom Kippur with Dick Clark. Women are getting the candles out. The sun is just about down. We have Alicia Keys standing by to sing the Nidre. What a fabulous night. But oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have a fabulous night of entertainment on tap for you from now till 8 o'clock on this show. Not only will I be jabbering more about the new year, as promised, but I also have a special guest. He's one of our more frequent visitors because he's one of our most fun and convivial and knowledgeable guests on a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Theater. I forgot to mention earlier that this show is produced and sponsored by Total Theatre, which runs the website totaltheater.com and publishes the hard copy theater magazine Performing Arts Insider, which, by the way, is printed by our other sponsor, Hewlett Minuteman Press, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. And every week on this show, through those auspices, We do a segment called Inside Broadway. It's where we look at big shows opening on and off the Great White Way, or we talk about trends in New York theater, or just theater-related news and gossip. Well, we're going to give that segment a vacation tonight because we'll be talking Broadway and beyond with my good friend Jeff Goodman. Jeff is one of our resident theater experts and has seen pretty much everything that opened on Broadway in 2004, as have I. So tonight... We pick and pan what was the best, what was the worst of the 30 or so shows that opened in the past year. And a lot of the shows are still running, so you might want to get out your pens and paper, because January and February are slow times on Broadway. And that means it can be the best time to try and buy seats to -to hard-to-get shows, or maybe find discounts to shows not quite doing as well, but equally deserving of your attention and attendance. So, Jeff Goodman, returning to the neighborhood for the first time in quite a few months. Delighted to have him back, and I'm delighted that you're here listening to Dave's Gone By. An hour of smart talk, silly talk, special talk, and music. The rating is usually DGB-13. That's the Dave's Gone By equivalent of PG-13, just in case you have kids listening. But I think tonight is going to be closer to... DGBG or PG. So even the FCC can take a night off from their incredible waste of taxpayer time and money, and just sit back and enjoy. Happy New Year 2005. Happy Jew Year 5765. Happy you could join me. Happy to play some Spike
2: Jones. <laughs>
3: When my mother in law begins to yell and shout through the window, I would like to throw her out. But I resolve not to do it, here is why. I'm afraid of hitting someone passing by. This is my New Year's resolution.
2: <laughs>
3: when I'm at the movies watching A Love
2: and the lady's hat
3: is blocking half the screen. I resolve not to shout, take off that hat. I'll remove it gently with a baseball bat. This is my New Year's resolution.
1: I need more Dave. Oh, I hear that all the time. Once a week is not enough, but you can get all the Dave you want on CD. Dozens of complete episodes, just $14 per disc, shipping and handling included, and one more dollar for a personal autograph. Dave's Gone By CDs come with jewel cases, photos, liner notes, makes a great gift. So, for more info, check our website or email davesgoneby at AOL.com and ask for the CD list. Thanks, Dave! Okay, so your business proposal has been typed, proofread, photoshopped, and given a nice cover. Now, all you need is 20 spiral-bound copies, plus 1,000 copies of your latest brochure on special paper. Your Xerox can't do it. Your mailroom can't do it. Hewlett Minuteman Press can do it all. Your one-stop printing shop, Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, open six days a week, 10% off for Dave's Gone By listeners. Family-owned Minuteman. Their service can't be duplicated. And Dave Lefkowitz is here for the play play-by-play. by play, the play by play by play by Dave in his book of plays, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. Comedies, satirical, silly, sad, and strange, all collected in a great looking book. Just $20 hardcover, $12 soft, 516-295-1511, or Dave'sGoneBuy.com for Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. Da 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 da! Play Dave! Dave's Gone Cultural, Dave's Gone Cultural, Dave's Gone Cultural, ooh. Dave's Gone Cultural, Dave's Gone Cultural, Dave's Gone Cultural, ooh. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and live streaming on the web at am1240wgbb.com and it's time for Dave's Gone Cultural with a guest. It's kind of a mix of Dave's Gone Cultural segment and Dave's Got Guests segment, because I'm going to talk theater with this fella, as I have done a few times in the past. He's a good friend of mine, and very lively and fun to talk to. His name is Jeff Goodman. He's been a theater critic for quite a few years, and um, will probably have a lot to say about the season past, or at least a year past, 2004, on and off Broadway. So first I want to welcome you, Jeff. Welcome back to the show.
0: I I feel so lively. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> oh, come on,
1: come on. You're you're Mr. Jovial. And what do you feel jovial about from from the 2004 season, like on Broadway or off? What were some of the things you liked and didn't love well, the
0: last season? But it wasn't from last year. I, I still feel jovial. I'm, I'm having an Avenue Q hangover. Really, still from, okay. from that that brilliant uh, victory.
1: It was a really well-orchestrated victory, too, as far it was, as their marketing. They, they ran
0: it just like the Oscars victories. They yeah. really advertised for it. Although I think they did it as a joke.
1: Well, they, they knew they had to do something kind of different. and They had to, be, they had to look hipper than Val, you mm-hmm. know, and, and cooler. And, and they kind of wanted to be cute about it, because at first they probably didn't think they had a shot in hell. And no. then when people really started loving the show, Avenue Q, they said, wait a minute, this could really snowball. And it did.
0: Yeah. Who who would believe it? I mean, I really couldn't believe it. it, it the minute the minute they won best best uh, lit music mm-hmm. I, in the Tony's yeah. I, what? yeah, I said, oh oh my god, it's going to win best musical. And you were right. I
1: thought Wicked would take it. Um, uh, I really you know I, I thought, thought towards
0: the end, I thought Wicked would take music, but I really thought Avenue Q was going to take best musical because right. I I thought of it and I said, you know, people usually vote with what you know the best musicals zone is the one they had the most fun in.
1: And yeah, a lot of people really felt as as the light. I thought Wicked was pretty spectacular just to see, and I liked some of the music. But but Avenue Q was, in a way, just such lighthearted, hilarious fun. Mm-hmm. And people, as I said, vote with your heart, and people did. They, yeah. they really got got through like all the spectacle and said, you know what, Avenue Q was really cute. Was really cool. Um, what, what else did you see that you really liked? Uh,
0: let's, I'm trying to think what's open that I. Well,
1: I'll, I'll give one down sort of a list of the Broadway openings. Well, you know, not have many know? of
0: them. Uh, yeah. I, one of the things I really liked that I, I thought was... It's a, it, I didn't like it for anything else other than Great Direction mm-hmm. was Dracula.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I thought it had Great Direction. And, like, you know, I think when Death Mackinac does something, you have to go see it. But, yeah. it, you know, just like they have him floating. He doesn't have to float, but he got him to float. You know? And then all the flying. I thought that was done really well. It was...
1: I wouldn't say it was a good musical, but I think they trashed it so... Completely, the critics did well, without I... really appreciating the fact that it wasn't bad. It wasn't well, good, but
0: not a good musical. <laughs>
1: well, what, well, what's and, wrong? And with it?
0: what they really did is they kind of screwed with the story. It kind of got boring. Yeah, except well. you know you loved Renfield, and then of course he dies. You know, halfway through the show, <laughs> one of your favorite characters dies. Not a good thing.
1: Not, and you don't really care that much about the women, even though you no. get to see them naked, which is kind of a neat no. thing. But it doesn't. You don't really like, oh, uh, you know, which they, hurts.
0: They, they were totally unappealing. The women. Right, and then the man I you
1: know I found that Parker was
0: interesting. Yeah, they made them interesting, but the way they changed the storyline didn't work either.
1: What about the score? Do you remember any songs from Dragon? Nothing.
0: Yeah, uh, me too. Absolutely nothing. Something about biting a neck and something else. <laughs> the <lives. It's> <laughs> All right. Well, did you see the musical Brooklyn? Yes. And talk about feeling cold Uh-oh. and not caring about the characters. I thought I thought the see there I thought the acting was supreme. I, I really liked the the cast was so talented. The problem is you could care less about the characters, mm. and all you did is go out and sing the costumes.
1: Your your other job is that you do parties and things and, and catering with balloons and flowers and what what is the actual what is that called?
0: It's called fancy schmancy. Fancy we don't sh- do flowers, but we do everything else. So we are like, the bar Mavens.
1: The Bar Mithamazing's Fancy Schmancy. How can people find out about that?
0: They can call us at 516-797-3229. Seven and nine thanks so much for the plug. Oh, you're, you're so welcome.
1: And I also wanted to just make it clear that you know about design things and elements like that and creating stuff. So when you see the, the clever costumes in, in Brooklyn, it's, it's so. on another level, too.
0: Well, that's, you know, what do you think sparks my creativity is watching all these other people's creativity.
1: Let me ask you about uh, some of the revival musicals that have come through over the past... Actually, they're pretty recent, too. We've had... um, First of all, La Cage came back. La Cage of Foal.
0: Now, that... I want to hear what you have to say about that for just one second first, because I have a very interesting take on that and no one else puts on it.
1: Well, I saw the the original edition. It was was kind of late in the run, and I wasn't... I had not seen much of Broadway back then, 20 years ago or so. And so I thought it was okay. I thought it was cute. And I liked... The musical itself a lot better this time. I think uh, when you see so much more over the years and you see what everybody's been doing. And I sat there and I was like, you know, Jerry Herman really, really knows what he's doing when he's making a musical. But he just
0: repeats the same four songs over and over and over. Yes,
1: uh, that bothered me. It bothered me that um, I always thought that I Am What I Am was just one standalone song. And then you realize he opens the show with the same melody, and then it comes back with the Tajel's. Like, you know, he could have written one or two more songs, oh, but yeah. the show itself has a certain something. It's a Jerry well, Hermanness.
0: Right I'll, now, I'll tell you what I was good. Yeah, you yeah. didn't pick up on what I. Well, again, I picked up on design work. In my year has been of just theater design.
1: I didn't think the design uh, for for Lacage was particularly.
0: Not the costumes were okay, but I, I the costumes are like good. But uh, the thing that hit me first uh-huh. was. Oh, man, this is just like a... It was touring company set. Yeah. It was horrible set. They were just like a touring company. I think they took that stage and they pared it down. You know, they made the stage a lot smaller. The Kajals were much more masculine than they were before. Because I, unfortunately, am old enough to remember the original, original.
1: Well, so as I said, so I saw it too. And, and, I mean, yeah, the Kajals, I mean, I'm not up... I don't really... Go to La Cajabelle to see the Kajels. Maybe I'm different than that. Um, I well, don't care that you know they look is. like women. It's kind of gross to me. That's a personal thing. I want to see the show. I want to see the story of these two right.
0: men. Well, the Cajelles really tend to be the show, because people want to see more of that. Although, I must say that I did like it better this time, because Harvey rewrote the book.
2: Did he really?
0: Yes. Because in the first thing, that and, and he rewrote exactly what I hated about the first
2: the Which first
0: was? Time. If you've seen the movie, the, the, the French movie.
2: Yes.
0: Okay? The character of the maid is fantastic. The first time around, that character was like almost completely obliterated. He had like three lines in the whole show. And he incorporates the maid a lot more.
1: Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think the maid was that funny,
0: quite honestly. <laughs> oh, the, maid's, uh, the maid is a very pivotal role. I, I think it's because it's, he is so out there and, and he says whatever.
1: I think, But I think a different actor could make even more of it than this particular one did. I, I, thought he did, I
0: really thought he did this one. Did fine. The other thing that struck me is that originally, as soon as he came out on stage, I thought Daniel Davis, I kept thinking Gene Barry. Okay? Oh, yeah. However, after I got into the show, Daniel Davis made it his own and he is spectacular in
1: it. He's a very good...
0: I mean, they're both... Uh, Gary Beach is... is Gary very Beach awesome. I was a little disappointed in because... He he made Zaza a little bit too internal. You know what I mean? Especially I Am What I Am. He didn't come out with that big I Am Telling You number. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. He,
1: I like the way he began it, but then when he pushed it, I didn't quite buy because it. Because
0: you didn't buy it because he 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 wasn't so overtly upset.
1: Oh Well, no, I could see...
0: No, I, just, I, 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 out, I would much rather have seen Zaza be more... Open, you know what I mean? Well,
1: okay. let, me,
0: let before more flamboyant. We, before we spend all our
1: time on Lacage, Le let, let's go to okay. another couple of shows, because this is kind of a year-end wrap-up. Well, we also
0: had the revival of Pacific Overtures, which I loved. Uh uh-huh.
1: love. Um, did you see the original Pacific Overtures?
0: Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. You I didn't
1: did know. not. So, so you came to this one, as I did, kind of clean. And um, What well, was it specifically about Pacific Overtures that you liked? Well, first
0: of all, I think it's Bondheim's greatest undone musical.
1: Because <laughs> it's undone by some book problems in the second act, or undone that one does? Yeah, undone does it. because
0: no one ever produces it.
1: Yeah, okay. it's,
0: it's this and anyone can whistle. Or hmm. it's too great undone. Okay. But I think it has brilliant music, and I don't think the second act has the problems. Do you?
1: Yeah, it's, I do. do I, think? I think we, we get so... We, we get into, at first, that Fisherman and his wife, and she's... As you say, there's a character who would be really interesting who disappears very early into the show... And we start following him, but the, the musical itself is so segmented bookwise you know we go from here to here it, it's sort of an overview from a crane shot of what
2: yeah, I happening don't think in japan
0: I think what happens is the first act is the slowness of the old japan oh yeah oh yeah. and and until you know the, the Americans came and they thought they got rid of them, and the second act shows you everything moved so fast after everyone industrialized it,
1: but I still lost. The through line of that guy who was pr- went Shogun from a nobody
0: and to the being and the fisherman.
1: Yeah, and
0: then and then you know
1: suddenly he they're changing things and years pass oh, no, and they, they have
0: has Hatt. a very good number. It's done very well for this. Show. It's done well, but I, I'm not saying that it's this production
1: that has this problem. I have a feeling that the, the show as a whole has this weird kind of wants to be two things at once, and not just. Wants to be about Japan and then wants to tell the story as if it were Japanese. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it wants to be this overview of all the events that happened and yeah. tell the intimate stories. And the intimate stories just get confused and kind of
2: kind of well,
0: lost. All I could say is I I don't see the problem with with all that. But what I what I did see was a brilliant production. I thought I thought someone in the tree really moved me this time. Love cause I it's love that. a great that. song. What? That's
1: uh, that's a wonderful. I mean that song just stays in your head. days Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I discussed with you my problem with the song though in the show Um, the fact that as great a song as it is what really happens is you have two guys it's all about the beginning meeting of the Japanese and Commodore Perry's people and um, something goes on in a tent where they're obviously arguing or trying to make a treaty or just being cordial or whatever they're doing and the only report we get on that is from two people who happened to be outside the hut. One right. was in a tree, and one was watching from... Well, that's what makes
0: it so interesting, because before the whole... See, it's set up by the, the um, narrator character. Mm-hmm. tells you that there's no record of what was done, because it was done for no reason. It was just done to let them come and go.
2: Well, yeah.
0: So there was no records kept.
2: But,
1: but the thing, the, the only problem that uh, with the song, for me was as brilliant an idea of it as it is, because one guy can see everything that's going on, but he can't hear a word. And they put it together. And the other person, right, he heard everything. But, he said, but they, don't, they spend a lot of the song just saying, I saw it, I saw it, I heard it, I heard it. No. But they
0: tell us very, very little of what they actually saw and heard. But you you well, All they can do is tell you what they saw and heard. He goes, someone, someone reads a list from a box, and the other guy says, someone speaks of laws. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess.
1: I guess. So, and you just figure there's going to be something more that they tell you. And, but they say one or two little things, and then suddenly it's back to, you know, I'm someone in a tree. I was someone in a tree. I was someone watching from well, here. Oh, that's the song.
0: Yeah. Whatever you want. Anywho. What but you I, think but of, what I did like is yeah. in the first act, when the fisherman and his wife are walking home before, you know, when he thinks he's doomed.
2: <laughs> yeah. I
0: thought that was just lovely.
1: Oh yeah, there, there's a couple of beautiful songs I mean, in there. there. There's no other way, and um, right, pretty lady is, is a, a
0: pretty lady. I thought was a okay. scary song, but yeah, but it was, but it was kind of done to frighten you. Well, they it, it
1: is. They, they turn into rapists. Well, almost. They're stopped in their tracks. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Fiddler Literally. on the Roof. Let's move to Fiddler.
0: Fiddler, yeah. Not yeah. a great revival. I How think. come? I, did you think it was a great revival?
1: Great revival, no. But Fiddler always is Fiddler.
0: Fiddler's Fiddler, and that's fine. But, but what was missing then? A energy. great caveat. What, sorry? Energy. Energy, energy. And, okay. and they, and they, you know, certain things. It's so funny because when when you, you screw around with my favorite stuff, you, you don't win. You know, <laughs> like when they take Grandma's Title and don't make her interesting. Mm, okay. It's a very bad move. You know. And I don't even remember the. the when Muddle the Tailor has more energy.
1: Well, I didn't like Muggle. I thought he was hamming and, and going, you know, completely but it needed, berserk.
0: But it needed, the, it needed the energy in this thing. Now, what's happening coming up is very interesting.
1: Oh, tell me, I mean, yes, I, I've been from this. Is With Andrea Martin and not I, I hope they'll let us back in because, my gosh, I would not miss that.
0: No, me neither. Oh, my God. I mean, the only film you could pull off, I think, is... Do you love me? What?
1: He'll be singing that to Muddle, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and what about some of the plays that opened um, in the past season? Well, you Gem see of the, the
0: Ocean I thought was terrific.
1: The, the August Wilson play, Gem of the Ocean. One of his best or middle or what?
0: I think one of his best. Because? Because it was interesting. It told the, it told the story. It told about the period. See, he did exactly what he wants to do with his, I don't know, a trilogy, three plays of trilogy. What's ten plays? A decalogue, I guess. A decalogue, okay. But he did what he wanted with his decalogue. And I thought Felicia Rashad, even though I don't think they'll ever give her a Tony Award again.
2: Well, she
1: deserved it more for this, you're right, than absolute. this. She was un- almost unrecognizable. She was really cool in this.
0: She was terrific. What did
1: you think of uh, Democracy? I thought you were, were you the board democracy,
0: man? Democracy, I was, I I liked it. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's a very tough sell. To, you know, I didn't love it. I thought it was interesting because of the whole idea, because I really didn't know about that controversy, because in America we're kind of insulated from those kind of things. But I think... I, I,
1: I should mention, it's about Herr Willy Brandt in, in Germany, and his incredible... It catches him at the height of his power, and then shows his amazingly quick downfall through and internal also, intrigue as well as external out in Eastern East Germany. And,
0: yeah. and, there's, and there's always that thing, was there really an Eastern East German, German, German spy hmm. in his cabinet, or whatever that is his advisors well, um,
1: yeah so but I, my only problem with it was uh, the acting I thought some of the supporting players were pretty weak I would have loved to have seen an all English even though it's all about Germans I think it needed an all English cast it needed more Michael Cumsteys and fewer Richard Mazurs you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and what about 12 Angry Men
0: 12 Angry Men was a brilliant revival
1: that was not a revival it was new um, I mean, it never played. It never played Broadway before. It was the show is from like nineteen sixties. I found out. Right. Um, it never been done on Broadway. It'd never been it's done, done. Premiere before You know, on, as a Broadway show. Oh,
0: it was well. I thought it was good though. Good. Okay. I, I really, I really didn't. <laughs> I thought it was terrific. Yeah. And and as long as we're on the roundabout, you must praise the foreigner.
1: I didn't see the foreigner. That's off Broadway with uh, um, Matthew Broderick. I know you love that play for personal reasons. Yeah. Did you want to appear in a production of it?
0: So? Oh yeah, yeah. But that's not the reason why I love the show. Oh, okay. I love the show because of its message. Which is? Never underestimate. Nice. Don't, don't underestimate anyone because that's that's what it is, is is the people are constantly underestimating the, the characters. Let's, and they yeah. may not actually do what they seem to do, but they but what they what they are doing is, it's, it's so convoluted, you have to see it, <laughs> you know, because they don't, it's not like they're accomplishing what they actually look like they're accomplishing, cool. but, it's, but they still are underestimated, and the power of several underestimated people beats a lot of things.
1: Info. Well, we thought so in, in December on November second. But anywho, a um, couple of quick <laughs> questions. Let, let's just close this with but a couple. You must of... go see that. That's the Foreigner um, yeah. at the Roundabout. The one person shows that open. There have been a few of them. It was um,
0: like good, better, terrible. Okay, fine. Seven
1: hundred Sundays. The Billy Crystal
0: loved it. Loved it too. Probably the best thing that uh, that's the, the best one person show this
1: season. And what did you think of Whoopi's return?
0: Whoopi mm-hmm. can deal with that. Really, I love the first. I love the first half hour.
2: Yeah,
0: when through her, um, I forget the character's name. The, the John. Um,
1: it's not Fontaine. It Fontaine, is Fontaine.
0: Yeah, through Fontaine, she is gives her own point of view of of her political points of view, uh, but her other characters, fall, they just go on too long. There's hmm. too much talk of tampons and oh, you know? yeah.
1: I guess you're all up in it, aren't you? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't even know what that means. What did you think of the Mario Cantone, by the way? That's what, closing sentence. You know what
0: the problem was? What? The biggest problem the Mario Cantone is Billy Crystal came up with a similar thing and just did it better.
1: And did it better,
2: yeah. I Mario know, I thought also
0: Cantone the... is a laugh and a half. Yeah. He is, I would certainly pay to see, that, see him. you know, with fresh material.
1: Yeah, he had me rolling, except for, like, the Liza and Judy stuff. That just went on and on. But the other stuff, just... uh, There were times when I was really... Also with Crystal. With Crystal, there were times I was hurting that kind of laughter, where, please don't tell a joke for 10 seconds so I can catch my breath kind of laughing. So, that sounds pretty... Well, well, I
0: don't know if... A lot of Billy Crystal's Stuff was about his family, and and some was very sad, and some was very funny.
1: Oh yeah, that that made it great too. In the second, I I think it's a little too long, but but there were things like he did that barbecue, the mime barbecue. Oh yeah, where it seems like it's just going to be a kind of cute kind of, and then he just goes on with it, and literally, uh, again, you know, aching
0: with laughter. Oh, but, so, but he's a lot of the stuff you've seen before.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I knew about the uh, his talking penis. No, now, now he's been doing that for fifteen years. But it's it all worked together. It was a great yes. show.
0: It, it really did. It 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 puts together some of his old stuff, like the birth of the baby. Right, he's done that before. But it's just this. He puts together some of his acts, and it all is about his life, which is very interesting.
1: Oh sure, I mean his his whole all the jazz people that his oh grandfather is father knew and who
0: would ever think the first person he went to uh, see a movie with was um...
1: was Billy Holiday he sat on a Billy or, you know, next door on Billy, Billy Holiday's lap watching a movie uh, who could believe and he didn't turn into a strange fruit but you know
2: <laughs> <Jeff's>
1: <laughs> Jeff Goodman last question what are you really looking forward to seeing uh, on the road of Broadway in 2005
0: oh Spamalots Spamalot, oh, yes. Is that, that's turning into as hot
1: a ticket as the producers over in Chicago, by the way. Yes. So they're really... I think, who knows? Well,
0: you know, it's sold out for the first two months of its run already. Oh, my gosh. It's gonna. Re- it's probably going to recoup its investment before it opens. So, any others besides uh, the Monty Python lot? I think that... Um, then you're looking for... Scoundrels, coming. right, yeah. Scoundrels, I mean. Um, I I'm, You know they I'm waiting for? The revival of... Um, What's the one about the women uh, getting their hair done?
1: Oh, Steel Magnolias. Yes. That'll be the first Broadway production of it. It was off-Broadway 20 years or 15 years ago. kind
0: of following the footsteps of Little Shop. Sure. Um, There's there's a whole lot of interesting stuff coming up.
1: All right. Uh, Well, I hope you'll be there to track it with us now and again on this radio program. I'm going to remind folks that I'm talking to Jeff Goodman who uh, can do your party stuff and fancy schmancy balloon stuff by calling 516, what's the number? 797-3229. Mm-hmm. 3229. And I should also, you are a legitimate published theater critic. I just can't tell people where you write for, because it's generally under a pseudonym. A belly, belly, secret. Belly, secret. But <laughs> uh, you, you, as, as everybody can tell, you know your theater, you love your theater, and you're, you're great fun to talk to.
0: And you know what I do best? What's that? I do bar mitzvahs that are themes with Broadway. <laughs> the of best. course, Broadway-themed bar mitzvahs. Can you imagine?
1: Well, if, <laughs> if I ever have a kid, I want you to do a, a night mother bar mitzvah for him. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> like put the little shotguns on all the tables. With <laughs>
0: bread blessing.
1: Everybody gets salty, uh, you know, hot chocolate. It'd be really cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jeff Goodman, Happy New Year to you. Thank and
0: you. Happy 2005.
1: Thanks. Have a, uh, thanks for visiting the neighborhood.
0: Always my pleasure.
1: If you love Broadway, Off-Broadway, Cabaret, Opera, and Dance, isn't it time you subscribe to Performing Arts Insider, the ultimate guide to everything on the stages of New York. Listings, reviews, box office, and production news, even Broadway rumors. To subscribe or get a sample issue, call 516-295-1511, 516-295-1511, or go to Totaltheater.com and click on Performing Arts Insider. I hate my family. The holidays came and went, and I didn't get a satellite radio. Oh, who cares? You've got more than enough cool radio to listen to on WGBB.
0: Well, sure. This day's gone by, Thursday nights at 7,
1: but what else? Shh, calm down. Right after Dave, there's The Instrumental Invasion of Smooth Jazz, hosted by Mike Shimeri at 8, and then Dave comes back at 9 on Thursdays with Filler Up. Well, that's okay. Of course it's okay. Plus, you've got radio psychic Joyce Keller doing her thing Wednesday nights at 11. Oh, man, she's been on for years. That's right. And you can listen to another WGBB veteran, Bonnie D. Graham, talking about the single life on Long Island dating Friday nights at 6. What about Comedy. I like comedy. How about Mikey and Jimmy? Comedy, hard rock music, and live bands in the studio, Saturdays at 5.30. And you can also get a few laughs about serious topics like news and politics on your world with Joe Salzone, Sunday nights at 7. Let me get
0: this straight. Joyce Keller, the psychotic. Psychic. Wednesday nights at 11. Mikey and Jimmy, the funny. Saturday nights at 5.30. That's right. Fridays at 6. It's Long Island's dating. You think Bonnie
1: can hook me up? No. Sundays at 7 is Joe Salzone. Thursday night, it's you at 7, my Shimmeri at 8, and you again at 9. Did I get it all? Nice job. I don't need a satellite at all. That's right. That's good. I read somewhere the ultraphonic waves would interfere with the space aliens in my head. Why don't they always come to me? Sponsor me, Dave's dog buy. Run your ad, folks will buy. If you want to reach the public, sponsor me. Advertise on this program for incredibly reasonable rates with long-term discounts. See prices at dave'sgongby.com or call 516-295-1511. Sponsor me. If you're wise on Dave's Gone By, you'll advertise. If you want to be successful, sponsor me. Welcome back to the final moments of the 108th edition of Dave's Gone By, the last episode of 2004, and it's been a really great year for the show. I am so proud of where it's gone to this point, and I can only see it growing and getting better in the year ahead. Some of the guests we have coming up in January include legendary rock journalist Al Aramowitz. He wrote for the New York Post for a bunch of years, I mean, the paper was always conservative, but... God knows he wasn't, Aronowitz is best known for being there, not just being there, but initiating one of the defining moments in rock and roll history, for better and worse, the first meeting of Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the herb that broke the ice. We'll talk about that and also his friendships and acquaintances with truly the royalty of rock and roll, the Stones, Paul Simon, the Birds, Jimi Hendrix, George Harrison. A few weeks ago, my guest on the program was Neil Innes, the songwriter and former Monty Python cast member. And he told of a lifelong friendship with the late George Harrison. Said only nice things about the man. I gather Al will too. But you have to tune in to find out. Sometime in mid-January, Al Arolowitz. Also on the program, a lesser-known musician, but a very talented guy, making some very good music in a fun sort of old-fashioned style. If you took Sinatra and Rat Pack-era crooning and jazz, added a little bit of funk and a pop sensibility, you have Jeffrey Tozer and his swank pharaohs. Tozer isn't just a singer-songwriter-musician. He's also a writer, and he's trying to create a milieu, the musical world of swank town, a hip, offbeat, 3 a.m. loser bar kind of vibe. The best I can describe it is... Ray Moland meets Tom Waits meets Phil Noir meets Gene Shepard. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, listen in January for Jeffrey Tozer with his sweet swinging swank visiting the neighborhood. I was going to have him on next week to start the new year. Seemed like kind of an ideal anim opener, but if all goes well, I have another musical guest who's actually playing in town next Friday, January 7th. At the bottom line, And so I wanted to get him on the night before to promote that show. Chris Smither, the one and only Chris Smither, will be my guest next Thursday, January 6th. He's absolutely one of the unsung majors of modern folk blues. His career began back in 1970. It got waylaid for several years because of record contract BS, but he's been back on track since the mid-1980s, and you hear Smither, and you realize he is a major, major artist. If America prized a different kind of music right now besides hip-hop and bubblegum sex-pop, Chris Smither would be something close to a superstar. Then again, so with Tom Paxton and Lucinda Williams and Richard Thompson, and let's not get into all that. Let's just be excited that Chris Smither is, fingers crossed, looks definite, my guest next week on Dave's Gone By. See, I was going to do a whole list of reasons to be grateful about 2004, and I'm already gushing about 2005. But okay, a promise is a promise. And as I said at the top of the show, whatever went wrong in the past year, and we can all list a bunch, there were a lot of reasons to be thankful, too. Now, my reasons might not be your reasons, but you could do worse than taking a few minutes and coming up with your own list. Anyway, let me start with show stuff. My sponsors, of course, Hewlett Minuteman Press. They're great to work with, they do a terrific job, and they give my listeners a 10% discount. They help support the show. Happy New Year to the Toron family, who has run Minuteman since the 1970s, Much success in 2005. I'm also grateful to Total Theatre and Performing Arts Insider for their support, with a special shout-out to Richmond Shepard, the co-publisher of Performing Arts Insider, who's always making helpful suggestions and really being a big supporter of what I do. I'm grateful to the cool folks at the radio station who have welcomed me and nurtured me here. I started 2004-2004. As the host of one radio program on WGBB, I've ended it as the host of two shows, Dave's Gone By and Filler Up, which happens at nine o'clock tonight. It's an hour of music, just music. And the theme tonight? What else? New Year's. We'll hear songs about New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, hopes, regrets, and everything in between. From the Sundays, Tori Amos, Counting Crows, Loudon Wainwright III, Spike Jones, and Sandy Denny, among others. That's tonight at 9, right after Mike Shimeri's instrumental invasion of smooth jazz, which is up next. It is his 25th show already, so happy anniversary to Mike. And I'm grateful to him for promoting my program and putting a link on his website to mine, davesgoneby.com. And uh, the other show hosts who give me a nod, like Bonnie D. Graham on Friday nights with Long Island Dating. Jimmy of the Mikey and Jimmy Show, Saturday nights at 5.30. Joyce Keller, Radio Psychic. I wonder what she's predicting for 05. Catch her Wednesday nights at 11. And my good pal, Joe Selzo. Hope he's feeling better. I filled in for him at the station as a board-op last Monday, but catch his regular show Sunday nights at 7. It has undergone a name change. It's now called World View. It's going to be taking a more global look at news and politics. Joe has been maturing and improving as a talk show host which just means he's become more liberal, but he's also gotten really good at being impartial and objective in debates and political discussions. And I should add that weeks ago, on this program, Joe made the announcement that he's been battling multiple sclerosis, so he has had a tough year in many ways. He's in remission, however, so I certainly hope the promise of a new year brings good health to my good friend. And again, to the other engineers at GBB, Dennis the Curry Kid, Trevor, Stan, who, who just had a brief hospital sojourn, and program director Tom Ross, of course, who put together that nice party for GBB's 80th anniversary three weeks ago. And station manager Jeff Lowe, who basically lets me do my thing, doesn't try to change or censor or reshape or move the show. And I hope the response to the program has validated that approach, which is why I'm grateful to you, the listeners, for your emails, your letters, your phone calls. To hear someone say, oh yeah, I saw you on cable TV. Hey, I heard your show. It was pretty funny. These things make such a difference to a broadcaster. You really can't imagine how satisfying positive feedback is to a rampant egotist like myself. Other reasons, 2004 was not, all in all, a bad year. Little things, like piecing together the puzzle of a good movie like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or just being amazed at the brilliance of Ricky Gervais and his show The Office, which takes the comedy of embarrassment and awkward moments to magnificent levels. You can't bear to watch, yet you can't help but watch. The Simpsons, reruns of The Family Guy, reruns of The Odd Couple back on Channel 11, The death of Yasser Arafat, which just may do more for peace in the Middle East than a thousand summits put together. Gosh, I should have left more time for this segment. Actually, I did, but I wanted to squeeze in one more personal reason to be thankful. As I mentioned unofficially in weeks past, I've been trying to get Dave's Gone by out there more. And the best way to do that is to get it on the net. Have people be able to listen to the show, not just on Thursday nights at 7 on GBB, but maybe at other times too. Well, the deed is done. It's official. And my special thanks to Dave Tanny for making it happen. He has a website called dfsxradio.com. I'm not sure what the initials stand for, but it's DF as in Frank, S as in Sex, and as in fact, dfsxradio.com. And starting next Thursday, January 6th, once a week, they will rebroadcast a vintage episode of Dave's Gone By at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. In other words, when this show ends on GBB and on the web at am1240wgbb.com, you can surf on over to DFSX and hear an older show. And in fact, they're also going to play it again at 11 I'll put their direct link to all my websites, so if you're at the computer, you can really make it an all-day night. Me, here, with a new show at 7, then over to DSFX at 8 for a rerun, then back here for filler-up at 9, and then back to DSFX if you want to hear the old show again at 11. Sounds confusing? I'll explain more next week, but yes, it's a done deal. More Dave, more, more, more. And conceited, as it sounds, why wouldn't I be grateful for that? Though I must save my highest gratitude for my family and friends, of course, my aunts, my uncles and cousins, my mom and dad, my in-laws, my beloved dogs and frogs and potatoes, and most of all, my greatest gift in 2004, as she has been since 1996, Joyce, my friend, my love, my wife. Happy New Year, everybody. See you next week, January 6, 2005, right here, 7 o'clock, for a new edition of Days Gone By with my special guest, Chris Smither. Until then, don't miss your days going by. Good night, take a cup of kindness,
2: and gone by. Happy New Year!
3: we Some man's choir, you got to come on, to the house, doesn't life seem happy, British and strong.